understand the next time you play your family, that to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Meet Us at Molly's. As always, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Gina. I am here with Bryna. Hello, everybody. Ashley, unfortunately, could not make it tonight. Remember the last episode how we kept saying it was so great that she didn't get sick? Well, she got sick. We yeah, we lied. too soon. We lied. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's kind of miserable right now, so I think she's in the worst of it. But once that passes, she'll be better. But I if you're listening to if you're listening to this right now, you should just go send her some love on Twitter and some Halstead gifts, and just send her some love because she would really appreciate it. Yes, please. It's Ashnick O nine five A S H N I C zero nine five. So <laughs> tonight we're gonna cover Chicago Med season three, episode two, entitled "Nothing to Fear." As always, before we get into the episode, we're going to start with some news. So it's not really exactly news this week. The three of us have had a really crazy week. Bryna's busy. I just started a new job. Ashley's sick. So instead of articles, we didn't really find any this week. We're just going to kind of touch on some of the things that have been prevalent in the fandom this week. So and just regular life in general. Yeah, just life in general. It's been a week, y'all. Like, we're tired. <laughs> so, But we're going to get through this because we have a lot to say. So the first thing that we started with, Tori and Nick did a Q&A on Monday? Tuesday? Tuesday. It was med day. Yeah, so Tuesday. Okay, so med day. Um, I admittedly have not seen this yet. There is no cell reception in my new office, which, you know, I'm learning to deal. I'm just, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. So, yeah. Brian, take us through this. What did we miss? Yeah, well, first of all, they're really fucking adorable. Like, that's all. Like, that's really, I could end it there and, like, that's it. But, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot, I'd say, new stuff. Like, it was really just kind of a way for them to promote that, like, Chicago Med was airing that night, you know, move on. I don't know if we're going to get it every week, but they were just kind of doing it as a way. And so I think the cool thing, I love when they do, when people do Q&As with, like, video replies. So that, like, you send in questions and, like, they would reply with a video, which is really cool. And so we actually got one of them. We actually got the first one, which was really cool. Um, I guess, Gina, you sent out the, like, our tweet, right? With the, the with the question yeah, that we asked. Yeah, it was just, like, jokingly, too. Like, anytime they put out the call for questions, I'm always like, hey, heard any podcasts lately? Right, like, and with the winky face. With the, and winky, the winky face. face. Just to kind of be like, hey, heard any podcasts? Like, I don't know, us? Right. And so... The response we got, though, my theory is that whoever runs the social media for Chicago Med just kind of read the question as, like, have you heard any, like, good podcasts lately? And, like, obviously she didn't see the wink. She didn't, like, you know, you can't click on our username and see that we are a podcast, like, covering one Chicago. So, like, the whole joke of it was missed. But she still <laughs> took the time to answer it, which was cool. And so her answer was um, the most recent one she had listened to was Dirty John, which is I've read part of it. It's like a series that I think it was the LA Times did. It's like, I don't really know how it ends because I haven't finished reading it or whatever. But like, it's based off like a series of articles they did. And so like, it's just kind of like a short podcast series. And then she was like, oh, if you have any suggestions, like, you should like, let me know, like tweet her. So then we started tweeting her. And it was just like a whole joke. But she missed the joke in the beginning that it's okay, Tori, we forgive you because he still answered us anyway. 
But really, though, tweet her and tell her to listen to Meet Us at Molly's. Well, and a couple of people did, which was really great to yeah. see that, like, you know, in our replies, be like, people were like, you should listen to Meet Us at Molly's. And, like, you should, like, and then, like, tag us or whatever. And, like, that was really cool. But, like, obviously, and obviously, if you ever want to come on the show, you have open an invite. open invitation. For yes. sure. Um, but I think the only newsworthy, really, thing, because, like, obviously, people asked, you know, like, well, what is it like working with each other? And... Like, somebody asked, like, oh, are we ever going to see, like, me instead out of the hospital, which we did in this night, like, this episode with the Ferris wheel and stuff, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but the only newsworthy thing I'd said is that someone asked about Owen and, like, if we're ever going to see me instead with Owen, and apparently we are. So, like, I just say it's about fucking time, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be good. I was actually just thinking about that the other day because, you know, these are the things I think about on my drive home from work. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, we need to see Will with Owen. And right. so I'm glad that's and, coming. And especially now that they're like in an established relationship. I mean, we've never ha- besides like maybe those first like 10 episodes or maybe even just like all of season one since it was a shorter season. Like, have we did we see him in season two at all? Owen? Um... If maybe like one scene in one episode, but we didn't really see him. No, I don't think we saw him at all. I can't think of it. I don't think we saw him at all. But like, so really, it's been since season one. So it's really time, which Mm -hmm. is also just kind of like interesting too, since like she is a mom and like, suppose like that's a big part of her character is that like she's a mom and she's a widow and like we never really see that. That's true. So I'm glad we're like, it's it's really overdue that we're going to see this side of her. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. So another little bit this week, I was watching This Is Us on Tuesday and this Google Home commercial popped up (laughs) and it started off with a bunch of the NBC shows. And I think at some point I tweeted what I had texted you guys in the middle of it because there's a part of this commercial where it goes from Sunday Night Football using their Google Homes to like turn on decorations and everything and it cuts to 51 and it's the (laughs) cutest little thing. So... They're at 51. Severide is watching The Voice, which I don't think he would ever do. (laughs) That was, like, probably the best part. Not that the bro moment wasn't great, but, like, yeah. I would never peg Severide as someone who watches The Voice, but it was funny. He doesn't watch The Voice. And, like, Jennifer, like, just the fact that it was, like, Jennifer Hudson, too. It was, like, no, that doesn't seem like Severide, but whatever. We'll go with it. It also seems like something that only we would catch that we'd be like, why is Severide watching The Voice? Maybe Taylor like, Kenny watches The Voice, but not Severide. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so Sev's just sitting there and Casey's like, hey, I think it's time to put up the holiday decorations. And Sev just goes way ahead of you, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns to the Google Home and he says, hey, Google, turn on the rain gear. Rain gear. Gear with a G. And Truck 81 just, like, lights up with Christmas lights. It's the cutest thing well, ever. They're, like, all of a sudden you see, like, Severide, like, standing next to him, like, looking at it, like, looking at the lights. And, like, he has armor on him. And it's just, like, this bro moment. And it's, like, yes, this isn't – it's in character, but it's not canon, obviously. But, like, it's so great. Oh, it's totally canon. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to go. It's in our canon. Oh, my God. It's just the cute. It's just two bros watching Christmas lights. Yeah. You know, just two, casual. Just, just two bros. The only thing that would have made this ten times better is if there were cigars, but that's all I'm going to say. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so to sum it up, it's the cutest commercial ever. Um, 
Taylor and Jesse both tweeted it out yesterday. So we'll retweet it so you can see it if you Haven't missed we, it. Did, yeah, I think we did retweet it. But we'll retweet it again for sure. Oh, we'll retweet it again and again and again. And again cause... Every day from December 1st until the 31st. <laughs> it's adorable. So there was actually another commercial as well. Uh, this was more of a blink and you miss it just because we have seen a version of this commercial before. It's the Thursday night football commercial where the streets of Chicago are pretty much empty. And like the entire franchise is packed into Molly's watching the watching Thursday night football. Only the weird thing this week is that my hometown team and Brenna's hometown team are currently playing each other as we record. <laughs> yeah. So the entire franchise is packed into Molly's watching the Cowboys and the Redskins. Go figure. Also, side note, wait, we've seen this commercial before for like different weeks. Yeah. I totally standard... missed it then. This yeah. is the only week I've ever caught it. It's like the standard Thursday night football commercial. I don't, I, I, maybe it's the only reason I paid attention this week is because it said Redskins versus Cowboys. Like, <laughs> literally might be the only reason I paid attention. I don't know. But yeah, it's Herman and, and Voight, so, like, they're the only ones who speak. So, like, doing some crossover love, you know. Right, right. And that's not canon, because Voight's all smiley and nice. Yeah. Go figure, no, but. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't say that. We're going to get hate for that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, lots of Chicago, when Chicago features in commercials this week, it was a very lit week for one. I don't know. I mean, it was a great week for commercials. It was lit. Get it? Because of the truck. (laughs) And in the outline, I wrote like twas, like twas the night before Christmas, like twas lit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really in the holiday spirit right now, guys. I'm so ready. Yeah. So (laughs) the other thing we wanted to talk about, you know, we, we received a lot of feedback following our discussion of the Jason Begay issue on Monday's episode. And so we love that you guys got in touch with us and carried this conversation on because again, this is something that deserves, it needs a voice. It, you know, it should be talked about and, you know, these kind of things are really important to deal with. And so, you know, we got a lot of follow-up here and there. We got messages, we got tweets. One of the most notable tweets that we got was from Jessica and so Jessica, she had a question for us, which is a, a completely entirely fair question. Um, you know, she asked us just knowing what, what knowing what she knows and that, you know, we profess our love for Jesse Lee Soffer quite often because we're shameless. Every episode. Um, every, we just can't help it. It's the eyes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's everything. Um, but yeah, continue. But, yeah. But seriously, <laughs> her question said her question was, would you be having these same feelings if it was Jesse Soffer instead of Jason Begay? Because none of you seem to like Jason before this. Yeah. And I mean, I part of the reason why you might not have seen a response on Twitter is just because I had a really, I was the one who responded to her and I, it was too long for 280 characters. So I chose to send her just a DM about it. Um, and it was also just probably easier to follow. Like I could have done multiple tweets, but it would have been way too much. Um, and so, yeah, I just said, you know, I would 100% be upset if it was Jesse instead of Jason, just because. You know, it doesn't matter who it was, you know, whether like verbal outbursts, you know, volatile behavior, you know, remarks with sexually suggestive language, like they're not okay. And like whoever commits them should be punished accordingly. And, you know, I think when she was talking about when she said, you know, none of you seem to like Jason was, you know, last episode. So the episode we released on Monday, you know, I did say that I was never really a fan of Voight. And, you know, I've never really said that I hated Jason. You know, of course, I don't Jason's not my favorite, but I don't hate him. Um you know, obviously, and I don't love Jason nearly as much as I love Jesse. 
Um, but, you know, after the incident, you know, it's kind of hard not to see Jason in a different light. But, you know, and it doesn't mean he can't change his behavior and learn to control his anger so that this doesn't happen again to prevent it. But you can't also ignore the fact that the incident already still occurred. And so him changing his behavior for the future doesn't mean, like, doesn't make what he did in the past any less wrong. And so that's what really I was trying to say. Um, but I would 100%, I mean, like I said, Jesse is my favorite person in the entire One Chicago cast. Jay is my favorite character in the entire One Chicago universe. But if Jesse did this, I don't think he would. But if Jesse ever did this, like, I would 100% feel the same way. Um, if, I don't I mean, I don't even know if Taylor Kenny did it. If Jesse Spencer, if any, Eamon Walker, if anyone else did it, I would feel the exact same way. Yeah, and I echo that 110%. For me personally, anytime these allegations drop against these men in power, a switch flips for me. And I go from however I was before, if I was a fan or not, I go from basically being a fan, admiring them to fuck this guy. Sorry yeah. To put it and so I mean, crass, but you were talking about that too with like the Matt Lauer stuff, you know. I mean, I don't really watch the Today Show. I'm much more of a Good Morning America person, uh, personally. And I mean, you were talking about you don't really watch it, but you were saying kind of the same thing that, like, you know, not that you hated Matt Lauer before, but, like, now you're kind of like, fuck, you're sorry. Like, I don't really care. Absolutely. It just strikes a nerve with me. Anger issues or sexual abuse problems, regardless of what the issue is, these are men who are abusing their power. Right. Straightforward. and I think obviously the Matt Lauer thing is a little different. And, you know, when you try to compare Mark Schwann and all that stuff, like those are all very different issues to the Jason thing. But at the same time, you know, like I said, I've never, I don't think Jason should have been fired, but I think a harsher punishment should have taken place. And, you know, it's hard for me not to see him in a different light. Um, I think it was really hard to watch. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about PD this week, the 508 in the episode release on Monday, but, you know, it was really hard not to sit there and watch PD this week and not be, like, like thinking about what happened. Because it's the first episode we've gotten since the news broke. So it was hard not to watch it. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter who the man happens to be. Um, you know, if they commit these kind of acts and the allegations come out, I'm immediately not on their side. Immediately. Because... Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, you, I just am, and I'm trying to think of a better way to articulate my thoughts here, and yeah, no, I mean, if it were Jesse, I would be 110% devastated. I would also immediately say, okay, fuck that guy, moving on. Yeah. There's no place for anger issues or sexual abuse or sexual harassment in the workplace, just plain and simple. And the anger issues are just as serious as the sexual abuse. I know I said that in the last episode, but I'm just going to reiterate it. It's just as serious because you ask anybody who has been around somebody with an anger problem and they will tell you that that inflicts damage. The damage is done. Yeah. And so it's just as serious in my book. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, it's why, you know, I think it's great that he's gotten the coach. And I think, you know, it's great that he's trying to work on himself so that he can prevent it from happening in the future. But that doesn't mean you can also ignore the fact that, like, these incidents occurred in the past and, like, he should properly have been punished for that. Whatever that punishment looks like. Exactly. Exactly. So, and again, don't think that this is the end of the conversation. It doesn't have to be. You know, you guys can still, yeah. Our DMs are always open. Our email inbox is always open. And you're never going to upset us or annoy us with a question ever, ever, yeah, ever. Yeah, no, ever for think sure. And us. I mean, right. And I think, you know, someone, you know, it's like 
you're never going to make us angry. Like, yes, we might disagree with what you have to say, but that doesn't mean we don't want you to come to us if you want to ask us a question or want to see how we feel. You know, I said this last week and I'll say it again. You know, part of the reason why we created this conversation or this podcast is that so we I mean, because we as fans wanted a way to kind of have a, have a more open and honest way to have a conversation around things happening in this fandom. But, you know, it also allows us to then as like, I don't think we obviously intend, like we made a Twitter so that we can help promote this, but like our Twitter has really become almost just as important as this podcast for us to get our feelings out about it, for you guys to reach us, for you guys to have your voices heard and then subsequently have them make, have your opinions, make it into our episodes. So like, our Twitter has become just as important. So like, you know, we never want to stop the conversation. So please don't feel like you're going to make us angry just because you might not agree. Like that's part of the whole point of this. Yeah, that's why we created this space was for these conversations. It's okay to disagree. It's completely okay. Yeah, for sure. So we also got an email from a new listener this week. We love emails from new listeners. Don't be bashful, guys. Email us. We got an email from Miriam and... Miriam made some good points about the issue. I think she listened to our episode that came out on Monday. And so she said, and this is kind of in light of, you know, what we were talking about last week. She said, it's strange to me how many people have normalized violence as inherent to the male condition, like it shouldn't be taken seriously. Fans have been long wondering if there was a person or situation that was the catalyst to Sophia leaving. Anger issues and violent outbursts are not the moment to have a collective sigh of relief in the absence of sexual harassment, which he's also guilty of. Amen, sister. Mm-hmm. This is on NBC, the producers and the showrunners who allowed that behavior to carry on for years without intervention until it was time to get in front of it. But it goes to my point that the One Chicago universe is very male. The jobs are seen as male, and all of the shows have a masculine edge. The showrunners, producers, and guest directors are almost all men. This is true. This is something that has been pointed out in the past, is that the One Chicago universe, it's very male-dominated. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's also, like I said, I understand her point. Like, it's kind of also hard not to, just because in real life, you know, the jobs that they portray, you know... They are, they do tend to be, you know, all male dominated, unfortunately, firefighters, doctors, cops, like, it sucks, but that's kind of just the reality of our actual world. Um, but yeah, I think that was something that when Sophia did first leave, that was kind of thrown around was like, that it is such a male dominated and that, you know, obviously there was speculation about what actually had happened, but that, that played a part into whatever the incident that pushed her to leave, um. But yeah, it's a really good point. I think the thing that I kind of want to point out that I really kind of agree with is that, you know, she goes on, Miriam made this really good point and kind of at the end of her email, she said, you know, it's a fictional world created to cater to a male point of view, but ran in a non-fictional world that believes keeping someone like Begay around is worth it because his voice, his perspective, his and his talent can't be replicated. It's what helps hold the franchise together. And then she goes, right. And then she said, I think this is the part I agree with the most. She's like, I think Chicago BD would be irreparably harmed if Jesse Lee Soffer left and not Jason McGay. I like especially that last sentence, I could not agree more. I think if they had fired Jason McGay, Yes, people would be upset, and yes, I mean, there is a section of the fandom that loves them some Voight and loves Jason and whatever, but I don't think it would be as bad. I think Sophia leaving was 10 times worse, would have been 10 times, is 10 times worse, and if Jesse left, 
I don't know if they could do PD like anymore. I really don't. Well, and it's not just Jesse. I mean, if if Patty left, if LaRoyce left, if John left, that would, you know. Right. I mean, we've already seen John leave and come back, but like for different circumstances, obviously. I blocked it out of my mind, Bryna. Why'd you have to bring it back up? Well, then I won't bring up the Patty stuff that we were talking about earlier, but you know. Uh, I don't Um, like this game anymore. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, I think, I think as a fan, I don't, you know, I don't want to put words in the entire fandom's mouth, but I think as a whole, people have tended to, like, be drawn towards, you know, Jesse and Patty and LaRoyce and Marina and John and, you know, Sophia when she was here. Like, those part of that part of the ensemble, rather less so than, like, Voight and Al. Just maybe it's because of an age thing, too, like... I mean, I'm a little bit younger than, like, the characters and the actors that play them. But, like, I'm much, obviously, closer in age to them and can relate to them more than I can so, like, Voight and Al. Um, So that might also play a part in it. But I definitely, just in terms of the sentence of, like, her using Jesse versus Jason, 100% that if Jesse left, or it'd be harder for PD to bounce back if Jesse left than it would if Jason left, I think. Yeah, it just go it, and it, it's not exclusively Jesse. It's just saying that there are characters that are more integral to this franchise than Jason. If that's what we're if that's what we're saying, then that's what we're saying. And is I that think they're, you know. And I think especially too now that like the focus of the show has shifted a little bit. Um if you had said this in like season 2, I'd be like, "Oh no, like if Jason left, like shit hit the fan and it's over. Like the show is over." But now the focus of it has shifted so much more. And especially this season. I mean, we've hardly ever really, we haven't seen much of Voight. Um, So I definitely think this season, like if he left, it wouldn't be as irreparable, but um, yeah, for sure. Also, Miriam also apparently said in her email, she apparently almost exclusively watches med. Miriam, if you're listening to this, please send us an email with more details on this, because I have so many questions about like, did you just start watching Med? Like, are you into just medical shows? And so that's kind of the reason you only watch Med and you've kind of only watched the other stuff just in order to keep up with the crossovers. Like, why just Med? Like, usually it's like, oh, just fire just because it was earlier. Or like, I don't know. I just, I have so many questions. Like, please send us more, an email with more details about this. Cause I, yeah. Right? Miriam's email was awesome. Like, I read that and I was like, can we be friends? Like, yeah. Yeah. That was Please send us a follow-up email, Miriam, if you're listening to this, which I hope you are since you watch Med and this is an episode about Med. Right, right. Yeah, please do. So, you know, <laughs> moving on from that, as Brenda was saying earlier, Christmas is right around the corner. Hanukkah's right around the corner. The holidays are here. So, uh, you know, it's a perfect time for us to tickets to the Chicago Heroes event in March. If you have not heard, Brenda and I will be there mm-hmm. in Chicago in March. And there's meet and greets, and there's autographs, and there's all sorts of cool stuff going on. Um, the lineup is amazing. Oh my god, um, it's incredible! Sophia, Jesse, uh, Leroy's Tara Patty, Fire, Patty, Joe, uh, um, Yuri, Yuri, Christian, yes, Randy, Randy Flagler, John. I might it's have said them great. all. They're up to like twelve right now, and. They're only going to keep – oh, Tori. Tori's going to be there representing yes, Ed. Yes, Tori's going to be there. Um, yeah, I mean, I know they things are starting to sell out. I think they've sold out all of the, like, Sophia meet and greets for, like, the entire weekend already. Um, so, yeah, just make sure you get on it if you want to come. 
and just hang out with us because we're going to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll do like something and because we want to meet as many of you as possible. So. Yes, yes, please, please don't be bashful. Come say hi to us. But yes, um, things are starting to sell out. I think they tweeted today that Jesse's photo ops are almost sold out entirely. Yeah, or they might be. Yeah, I mean, luckily we got ours. We're very excited. But yeah, it'll be, it's going to be a really fun weekend. I'm really excited to be in Chicago with you. Um, yeah, 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 we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. Last thing I, like, the biggest news, not even one Chicago related, but like the biggest news of the week is that there's a new royal wedding happening and I'm super stoked. I just need to throw that out there. Yeah, no, same here. I mean, guys, it's a scary, dark, crazy world we live in, okay? So Prince Harry getting engaged this week was like the bright spot. Oh my God. It's like the of the month. Of, this of the month. Like, let's yeah. be real. Like this wedding, like I found about it as like soon as I woke up and immediately my first thought was like, gotta text Gina and Ashley like we need to talk about this and then we've been texting about it all week Um, it's pretty much like yeah because in most weeks we would usually just send each other Chicago links and be like hey we need to discuss the story we need to discuss that no this week it was like interviews pictures of Harry and and Meghan Meghan. Markle and us just saying they're so cute I ship it so hard but we've also decided that May 2018 there's gonna be a special bonus episode of us recording as we watch the royal wedding at 3 a.m it will be lit Wine will probably be involved. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's going to be amazing. So yeah. Yeah. Let's be real. Like even if we did have a bunch of one Chicago news, like it would have all just got blown away for this Royal wedding. Like it's so great. And if you haven't seen William E. Kate's wedding yet from 2011, get on YouTube. This is what we told Ashley earlier this week because she has not seen the wedding. Oh yeah. Just we know this is not one Chicago related, but let us have this moment. We're and if you haven't excited. seen the twenty minute interview that like that Harry and Meghan did to like help announce their engagement on what was that Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it was, so, something like that. Yeah, whatever. If it was the day seen, before all the Matt Lauer stuff, right? If you, it's a twenty minute interview, so like worth it. But they're just—I've never really heard him speak that much. I don't watch Suits, so I haven't heard her speak that much. They're just so well spoken and so intelligent, and Meghan Markle's incredible, and I'm low key obsessed. It's pretty great. Again, we know this is not one Chicago related, but I just needed to get this out somewhere. Exactly. Just just bear with us. Let us get these feels out. We're excited. They're adorable. <laughs> we love love. Okay, so just let us enjoy it. Yeah. So, without further ado, I think it's time to discuss the episode. It's definitely time. So once again, we're discussing Chicago Med Season 3, Episode 2, entitled Nothing to Fear. As usual, we've broken this down by storyline, not necessarily chronologically, because something Med is doing this season is they've got multiple storylines running at the same time. And I'm not just talking like A, B, and C story. I mean, like, there's something going on with Connor. There's something going on with Chexton and Manstead. And we're just kind of bouncing all over the hospital. So Yeah, it goes like ABC, EFG. Like, yeah. it's like every every character has something going on. Yeah, and so... We're going to start off with Connor because that's how the episode begins. So Connor is fast asleep and the episode begins with him waking up in the middle of the night because Robin is making all sorts of noise in the kitchen. This started and I was like, oh shit, not again. Please not again. Please not again. It's just never good when it's a shot of Connor waking up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then you hear obviously like Robin, not that she was screaming in this one, but you can hear her like visibly upset and like frustrated and it was just like oh shit this is like 222 or 221 whatever it was like all over again 
Yeah, yeah. And so apparently she was prepping some brisket and she had put too much salt on the rub and she was freaking out. And so Connor handles it pretty well, actually. He just says, you know, I think this is one of those anxiety attacks. Just come back to bed. Come on. And Connor stops and just kind of offers her to help start another rub on the brisket. A couple of thoughts here, one of which is that, uh, so Robin and this brisket, this is an ongoing thing throughout this episode, and it's Robin versus this brisket, it's the new version of (laughs) Bryna versus the commercials. Like, I feel so bad for Robin, because it's just, she's like waging war against this brisket in the whole episode. Yeah. But, yeah. I actually caught the PD commercial last night for the finale, um... I was very proud of myself. I, like, made a point, especially because next week's the fall finale. I made a point to pay attention to the commercials, but I almost missed it. Not going to (laughs) lie. And so Connor is late for work. He's running through the ED. He's uncharacteristically late. And so Maggie informs him that his CT patient has arrived to the ED. And it turns out this is Jerry Willis. He's a patient that Connor operated on two weeks ago. Now, if they're trying to imply that Connor operated on him in the premiere, then their math is off. Because that was last week. But that's not what they're trying to imply, is it? It's not the same patient, is it? I don't know. Did we see the patient he operated on last week? Yeah, no. Was it the young kid? Yeah, it was the young kid. Okay, then it wasn't. It was whatever Connor was up to the week before the premiere. Right, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So he had a valve replacement and he's having trouble breathing. And after the quick ultrasound is done to check on the valve, Becker comes to the conclusion that Connor must have screwed it up somehow. And the way she does this is so, ugh, it makes me mad. Just like, she just like, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, she needs to get the fuck out. I hate her. Okay, bye. Like, bye, Felicia. Get the fuck out of here. The way she turned to Latham and tried to say it under her breath, and she's like, perhaps Dr. Rhodes made a mistake. I'm like, this bitch! Oh my god, she's... This was like, obviously, this was like, scene like two or three in the episode, and I was just like, dear lord. We're two episodes into med season. We're like two scenes into this, like, episode, and I was like, dear god. She's already... I'm thinking I'm gonna come out and say it. I think I might hate her more than Hope. Damn. I hated Hope. Yeah. Well, you she's the one you called the Hope of Chicago Med, right? Or was that another character I was thinking of? No, that was her. Okay. Last week I called her the Hope of Chicago Med. And that's totally true. Because they're both bitches. But, like, something about Becker just, like, I don't know. It's just more, conno- like, I don't think she cares as much. Like, I think no, she's I just think kind so of, either. I think she's just so much more passive about everything. Like, she cares about her and that's it. Where, like, yes, Hope definitely was selfish and she cared about her. But you can also argue that, like, she cared about Sylvie because they had that friendship from, you know, when they were younger. And that, you know, maybe, you know, she hooked up with Severide. But, like, so maybe she had some sort of feelings or caring or whatever for him. So, like, it wasn't like Hope was as completely heartless. Like, she did have feelings for the people that she hurt. She just hurt them still because she was selfish. Becker is just like, nope, me, bye, see ya. Yeah, and you know what I think my problem with her is, is that there is a way to be rivals in the workplace and it to be healthy. There's a way to have a good relationship with a professional rival, and this is not it. You know, to, to go about it this way and be manipulative and swipe surgeries from him, 
that's not constructive for anybody. Right. And I think my also my problem is like, like you said, there is a way to be healthy professional rivals. And I think, you know, it also just kind of is annoying that when Connor is going through so much in his personal life and like this kind of plays throughout the rest of the episode, but like she doesn't care, you know, so she's like using that to her advantage in a lot of ways. And she's like, oh, Connor's running late. I'm going to take a surgery. Okay, bye. Like, get the fuck out. Like, he's two minutes late. Okay, great. That means it's mine. And that's not the way to go about it. No, not at all. And I understand, you know, it being work and you just being like, put your head down, get things done. And that's why she's so cold. But again, there's a healthy way to be professional rivals and that they could push each other, but they're not. It's just Ava being underhanded and, you know, trying to take advantage of Connor being stressed out and going through a lot. It's just I that's I think that's why I don't like her is because she's being selfish. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And so Connor's pretty quick to defend himself, of course, as he should be. Um, but looking at the monitors, he's not so sure. And of course he's not. They were coming up with all of these things. Well, what if this happened? What if that's happened? Of course there are possibilities. You can never be 110% sure. Right. Yeah. And so Dr. Latham informs Rhodes that their best option is not to do surgery again, but to put him on medication instead. So later on in the cafeteria, Becker confronts Rhodes because of course she does and she can't just leave him be. And so she tells him, you know, it's not his fault, but it was bound to happen, seeing as he's dealing with patients all day. And then he has to go home and deal with a girlfriend who is basically a patient, too. Um, First off, Becker, this is none of your business. And when she's like, oh, this wasn't your fault, like you didn't make a mistake. She's totally patronizing him. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think like obviously she meant for it to hurt and it totally did. I mean, the fact that you're basically the whole thing about like dealing with a girlfriend who's basically a patient too. Like you don't know Robin. You don't know. I mean, you know the situation just because it happened in med and like, like everyone knows about it, but you don't know. You don't know Connor. You don't know his life. Like back the fuck off. Right. And also how old are we that you're being passive aggressive and you're like, "Mm, it wasn't your fault. How old are we? Right. We are clearly not the like late twenties, early thirties that whatever, however old they are. Good Lord. Goodness. And so, yeah, Connor continues to petition Latham for a second shot at his patient. Well, obviously he's sleep deprived. I mean, the man's getting woken up at 430 in the morning by his girlfriend trying to make brisket. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just kind of, you know, says he's like, I'm a cardiothoracic fellow. Like, it's part of the job, which, duh, of course it is. And like, aren't we all sleep deprived? Latham's like, are you getting enough sleep? I'm like, I'm not. I'm not a doctor, but I'm not getting enough sleep. For real. Like, You know, we're all sleep deprived, dude. And so Connor's having a conversation with Latham, but it gets cut off by a phone call from his landlord who says that it's an emergency. Oh, boy. So Connor hurries to his apartment and Robin tells him that she left the food in the oven while she went to the store and it started a fire that caused the evacuation of the whole building. I feel bad for her because, like, this shit happens, you know. Right. Nobody's perfect. nobody's perfect I'm you know whatever and so you know Connor assures her that it's okay but you know he's got that look on his face again there's a moment here where like Connor hugs her and then Herman comes out of the building hey Herman by the way hey hey um and Connor's like yeah it could happen to anybody but they kind of share this glance of like totally judging her yeah like it absolutely could happen to anybody stop judging her right like you're saying that 
But it's clear he doesn't really mean that. And that, like you said, he is judging her. But, I mean, I could do it right now if I wanted to. Um, I mean, I'm not going to. But, like, it could happen to me. It's something I'm always concerned about, you know. I mean, even not even just the oven. Like, I'm always paranoid about, like, leaving my curling iron or my straightener plugged in. And, like, maybe it wouldn't start a fire in the way that, like, the oven would. But, like, that, you shouldn't do it. And doesn't mean it can't call the fire department on, like, me leaving my curling iron in. So, like, yeah. It can literally happen to anyone with a bunch of different things. Right, right. So, yeah, I just, they were kind of judgy here. And I was like, leave her alone. It really could happen to anybody. And it might not even be part of her condition. It might be that she's stressed out. I mean. And I think that's probably what it was. I really don't know how much, you know, her actions in this episode are, like, related to effects from the tumor. Rather more so than, like, her being stressed out and, like, still adjusting to life again. Like, I don't really think it has anything to do with the tumor and, like, what that did to her and her body. I think it's more, you know, she was in inpatient rehab for, I mean, I think, what, like, three months is the time jump or two months or whatever it was. So, like, I mean, that's a long time to not be in your apartment and not be in your own surroundings and not be doing things for yourself. And so I think a lot of her stress is from that. But it is, you know, because of what her condition was and what the tumor, how the tumor affected her in her brain, you know, it's hard to tell what is actually her being stressed just because of like, she doesn't know where the knives are anymore or whatever it is. um, Versus like, is this Robin pre-tumor? Is this Robin post-tumor? There's just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think her stress about the whole situation is making her symptoms worse. Like it's a cycle of stress. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I just feel bad for her. So that happens. And then Connor rushes back to the hospital because Jerry's stats are dropping. And so he and Dr. Becker argue in front of the patient because this is a really healthy rivalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Becker kind of takes the case over. And so the medications begin to work. So the surgery is on hold for now because Ava was ready to just like administer more meds and just rush him into surgery. And Connor was like, no, wait a second. Let everything work. And then Connor turned out to be right. So when he goes to check in on Jerry again, he says Dr. Latham and Dr. Becker will take care of him from here on out and things will get better once they stabilize his meds. Um, Jerry asks if it could, or yeah, if it could work to do the valve surgery again, but Connor just says that, you know, Latham's the best Chicago med has and he'll take care of them. So later on, Latham confronts Connor about Jerry still wanting the surgery and get Connor's a little stubborn for, you know, for all of his good qualities. He's a little stubborn. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think just with everything Connor has going on, it's like, what is the word it's like increased his stubbornness like tenfold because you know just sleep deprivation does that and so it just makes him 10 times more stubborn yeah it does and so he must have slipped into jerry at some point about still doing the surgery and so yeah after hearing that connor told him he had options latham tells him that he has showed poor decisions all day and he benches him from the or yeah that connor doesn't take it well it's harsh but, I mean, I understand why, too. Like, I didn't, I wasn't like, ooh, Latham, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is so out of left field. I was like, yeah, okay, I can see where Latham's coming from. Yeah, that, that, that had to hurt Connor's pride a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt less, but I wasn't like, this came out of left field. Latham, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, 
okay, makes sense. I get it. Right, right. And so in the OR, Latham and Becker are doing the surgery and there's no leak in the valve, but Connor's watching from the gallery because, again, he's stubborn. But thankfully he is. He runs into the room and he says that it is the valve. And it turns out that the manufacturer did something wrong and that's why the valve was causing problems. So Connor didn't do anything wrong. It was just the manufacturer's fault. And so, yeah, he, he he's talking and he's like, oh, it's the valve. And the first thing out of Becker's mouth is like, Dr. Rhodes, nobody asked for your opinion. Yeah, she's like, this is ridiculous. It's a brand new valve. Like, of course there can't be anything wrong. You're stupid. And like, she doesn't say he's stupid. But like, she basically says he's stupid. And yeah, of course, because of course she wants the, the first thing she wants to do is demean Connor and his medical opinion, which granted, yes, he's done, you know, he's stressed out and he's kind of been pulled in 10 million directions, but he's still a smart guy. Like he got the cardiothoracic fellow for a reason. Like, you know, he's not dumb. Right. And I think that's kind of what got slipped under the whole thing is like, you know, yes, he's being pulled in all these directions, but like, he's still smart. Yeah. No, he still knows, he knows medicine. He's, Still know, you know, he knows what he's talking about, um, which obviously Latham saw because then Latham says, you know, once he kind of Latham saw what Connor was talking about, that it probably is something wrong with the valve. He, you know, lets him back in the OR and tells him kind of to like scrub in for the remainder of the surgery. And of course, Becker has something to bitch about about it. But, you know, she he just kind of like dismisses Becker and is like, yeah, road, road scrub in anyway. And so later on, Dr. Latham joins Connor outside Jerry's room and he reveals that the company they used didn't bother to do any human testing on their valves. Awesome. Great move, guys. Great move. Great move, guys. Just what? And so as Connor's walking away, Dr. Latham just kind of reminds him that when surgeons burn out, it always starts with stress. Then a call goes the wrong way, an unlucky result, and then they get into their own heads. And that's when the hesitation starts and it leads to unsteady hands. And once they're there, it's a really hard road back. And so he asks Connor if he's okay. And Connor says that he is, which we all know in the One Chicago universe that when somebody says they're fine, they're most certainly not. And so... Yeah, Latham says that, you know, if he's okay, he'll continue to have full confidence, and that's that. Yeah. So later on at home, go ahead, Brenda. No, I was just going to say, I have really enjoyed the Latham-Connor relationship so far in the two episodes that we've seen, just because I think that was something that wasn't, it was kind of underplayed in season two, and I just, I think it's really good, because I think Latham- I mean, I wish we got to know a little bit more about Latham. I think he's kind of one of my most underrated characters. But I think he does a really good job of, like, he clearly cares about Connor. Like, he cares that he's okay and that he's doing well and that, you know, he's mentally stable and, like, everything goes well for him at home. But he also, like, is able to balance that really well with, you know, making sure, you know, not that he – hard-ass isn't the word I'm looking for, but that, like, you know, he's still strict with Connor when it comes to, like, you know – being a doctor and, like, dealing with the patients the right way and, like, keeping up with his responsibilities. So I think Latham's kind of this this perfect mentor for Connor right now in this life because he still – he cares, but he's also going to get on him if, like, you know, like, this thing, like, when he wasn't sure whether Connor was right about the way he approached the patient, you know, he benched him from the OR. But, like, obviously when he saw that Connor was right and he had done the wrong thing, then he lets him back in the surgery. So I think – 
this relationship is something that I'm really looking forward to seeing, just like how it goes. As I'm assuming Connor's going to get more stressed with dealing with Robin and like might reach a breaking point at some point. So I'm really curious to see how Latham is involved, all that, especially in like the professional side of things. Yeah, and I... I actually didn't really think he was going to stick around past season two, Latham. And I'm glad he has because it's great. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think now I kind of want to go a little bit more into like Latham's background. Like for me, you know, I've always really been drawn to like the very first time I saw Latham on screen was like, I think it's really cute, cool that we get to see someone who's, you know, an Orthodox Jew um, just kind of work in a profession that is, you know, does have its challenges in terms of like dealing with things, you know, like I remember it was like something with the elevator. Well, like you can't push a button on a Shabbat. Like you can't do deal with technology and like, you know, you're really not even supposed to work on Shabbat. And so like just those things have always been really something I wish they'd shown a little bit more of. And so maybe something I hope we'll get to see more of in season three, just because I feel like they kind of brushed that under the rug for a little bit. Um, but that's something I've always really liked about Latham. And I think it's something I wish I saw more of, but that's just like me as a Jew, like wanting to see more Judaism on like in my shows and in my world. Um, but, Didn't yeah. we get a DM from somebody a couple of weeks ago asking about Latham's past and wanting to see more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember who it was. Um, it was right before the Med premiere. So sometime like last before the holiday. But yeah, it's just it's something that I think is really fascinating. Um, not even just because I'm Jewish, but just because like especially like I said, in the medical world, when you do kind of are expected to work all these weird and long hours and like, you don't really get weekends per se when like in Judaism, you know, Friday night through Saturday, night, like you're not supposed to really do any work, especially as an Orthodox Jew, like, that's not really a thing, you know, technology isn't a thing. So like, all the medical like, monitors and stuff like you can't really use them like that's not really something you're supposed to do. Um, so I just think it brings up so many challenges in the medical world that like, I feel like, they maybe kind of touch, but like they don't. I wish they would just do a little bit more here and there. That's interesting to hear you talk about that because I mean, obviously, we just took it as okay. He's an Orthodox Jew moving on, but it's yeah. got a bigger significance. There's to you. a That's lot of there's a lot of like technology um, and just kind of things you're not even supposed to do. Like, for example, like some people, depending on how observant you are, like you know, you're not even really supposed to deal with things like money. Like that's something you're not supposed to do on Shabbat. Um, and so, I mean, that's not something like how I practice, but like some of my friends and things like, you know, that is a bigger deal. And so I think there's a lot of cool places, especially in the medical world, they could go with that if they would just do just like a little bit more. Um, I just think it's really cool. But I always just get really excited every time I see Latham with his yarmulke on because I'm just like, oh, my God, Jews. Like, yes. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> yes. More Jews on TV. I love it. That's so great. Yeah. And so... You know, later on at home, Robin is sorry that Connor doesn't get a real meal after the day he had brisket one, Robin zero. (laughs) Sorry. And she promises that it'll be better soon. And he looks at her and just kisses her. He's handling it pretty well. But then she walks away and he's continuing to cut the vegetables and just absentmindedly cuts his finger. So I guess they're trying to show that he has unsteady hands. But to me, I'm like, well, wait, I mean... I thought that was just being human. Like, I've cut myself absentmindedly in those kind of instances. See, for me, I thought it was more them trying to show that, like, he's being so absentminded and he's so distracted by, like, everything that's going on in life that, like, he's going to cut his finger. So, like, maybe he's not actually as okay as he's saying he is. That's how I took it, just because, like, you know, yes, obviously, 
like anyone can cut their finger. I probably would if I, I don't cook. So like, that's my thing is like, I probably would do it just to do it anyway. But like, he was just so distracted by everything, you know, with Robin and just work and the stressful day that he had had and whatever that like, maybe he's trying to, you know, him cutting his finger was this way of saying like, oh shit, like I'm not paying attention enough. Like I'm not okay as maybe I'm leading on to be. Next time any one of us cuts our finger, I'm going to be like, are you okay? No, but really, like, mentally, are you okay? What's happening? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So, yeah, and so that was kind of the Connor storyline. And one of the biggest questions we had after this, because after, especially after the brisket incident with the, the, the apartment catching fire, why does Connor keep leaving her alone? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think... It's really hard because obviously I think maybe he thought like, oh, inpatient rehab, you know, like she's recovered enough to be at home by herself. But like, like I was saying, you know, I don't think this like her stress and all these like, for lack of a better word, these breakdowns that she's having, like they're not due to her tumor. They're due to her just trying to adjust back into normal life and, you know, being on her own for the first time in all these months and like having to make dinner for herself and whatever. But, like, that doesn't mean she can't have – I don't think – she needs someone to be with her just for part of the day. Like, I don't think she needs to be, you know, watched 24-7, but, like, an hour, like, someone to come have lunch with her, like, you know, something. Yeah, I just can't imagine that if Dr. Charles knew about these things that he'd be happy about it, that, you know, she's at home and nearly burning the apartment down and, you know, she's so stressed out and everything. Right. Like, I wonder, I mean, this episode they didn't really touch on. One last episode, I mean, they kind of just said, you know, Dr. Charles can't go, like, be there to help her come home because he has his trial to deal with. But, like, this episode they didn't really touch on, like, how Dr. Charles was involved. And like you said, like, yeah, does he know about all this stuff? Like, what has Connor been telling him or what has Connor not been telling him? What is, well, I guess Reese and Dr. Charles are just kind of now on speaking terms again. So I guess they have, she hasn't really said anything, but like, yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's interesting. And so we also got a DM from Rachel and I think this is more about Dr. Becker, but her thoughts on Dr. Becker, she said, what even is the point of her character? Because it's not like Connor needed anyone else to give him an interesting story this season. Robin's doing enough of that, and Dr. Becker is honestly torturing him and us. Just like Hope, I don't see her adding anything other than just being an irritating antagonist for Connor. Yep, and I think, I didn't put, I don't, I didn't put it in the outline, but something she, Rachel had also brought up in her message to us was that, you know, I think it was, I think Rachel was brought up to us. I don't know, if it wasn't Rachel, someone brought it up to us, but they had said, you know, I can't remember who plays Becker. But anyway, Becker's like a regular or, you know, going to be more. She's more than just a guest star. She's a recurring character if she's not if she's not a regular. I think she's a regular, though. Um, But so it's not even just like Hope where we knew Hope was going to be gone like six episodes in. Um, You know, Becker's supposedly going to be around for most of season two. So like or season three. I'm sorry. I don't even know what I'm thinking of. But yeah, like I can't deal with her for 22 episodes. I'm just like, I don't want this. Like, hope for six was already enough. Something is going to have to change within them. Like, something's got to give with their relationship. Because 22 episodes of this is going to be torture. I just really, the one thing, I just really hope that eventually, like, say, for example, if Robin, like, if Connor and Robin break up. Like, I really hope the end of season three is not, you know, we've had antagonists going at each other and then they turn to lovers. Like, 
our favorite, you know, our one of our favorite podcasts, The Shipping Room, you know, they always talk about this idea of like antagonist to lovers trope. And like, I really hope that's not what this is. Like I would yeah. die and in not the best way if that was the case for this. Yeah, I, I'm not here for Ava and Connor at all. That they, they had better not go that way. I just, no. No. Please no. And no, also no, no. just like it would be basically three new, three different love interests for Connor. Like basically it's a new one every season. Like can't he just have like someone that I want to like ship him with? Like I just want someone him to be like build like a good relationship with someone that I can actually find like being like, oh yeah, I want to ship Rhodes with this person. But so far I don't have that. I like Robin. I just, you know what makes I don't me sad ship is that them, though. I like her, but I don't ship them. Like it's just no. Like I like them together. I, you know, I like them together. It just makes me sad that Robin's condition is kind of starting to tear them apart. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's not to say I don't like them together. Like, I mean, I do like them. They've had some good moments, but I don't find myself like being like shipping them. You know, like shipping is like different. Right. It's just like it's a different like. It's a little, it's, the notch is a little higher. Like, the stakes are higher when you ship Yeah. Them. Also, if you have not listened to The Shipping Room, you should. They are friends of ours. We love them very, very much. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, you should definitely go listen. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Christine. We love you. We love you. <laughs> so, <laughs> another thing that happened in the episode, we've got to talk about Manstead. Yes. And this was a good mix of, like, it was a good mix of season three Manstead with the Manstead we know, love, and facepalm over. Yeah, there were at least, like, there was a lot of enjoyable Manstead moments in this episode. And then there was, like, and I wouldn't even say it's Manstead. It was Natalie. Like, it wasn't even, like, Will. Like, Will was, like, actually normal and, like, wanting to, like, like abide by the rules for once. <laughs> like, so it wasn't even, like, Manstead was, like, annoying. It was, like, Natalie broke the law but whatever we're gonna talk about that okay so first things first natalie comes into work and she's greeted by will and there's heart eyes everywhere because they're Cause talking about their first two, date it's just they if these two are just walking heart eye emojis the whole season i'm here for it yeah let's go it's literally and them. literally the first thing they're talking about is their first date they're just so freaking cute and so Natalie has a dress that she's about to wear for the first date and Will's like oh is that what you're gonna wear to this I guess it's a super fancy restaurant yeah the hottest reservation in town apparently and Natalie's like impressed of course and she's like isn't that like the hottest reservation in town and Will goes GQ says 97% of relationships are decided on the first date <laughs> first off, he- <laughs> it's so great he would get dating advice from GQ he would he would Oh, Dr. William No Game Halstead at your service. Like, why did you, like, I'm just thinking about this. Like, why did you go to GQ? Like, your brother's pretty good at dating. Like, your brother's got some game. Like, why don't you go talk to Jay? I was going to say, yeah, I was like, talk to your brother, man. He obviously got the game in the family. Yeah, for real. Like, go talk to Jay. Like, don't, and even if you do turn to GQ, don't say that. I mean, I guess Natalie thinks it's cute and endearing and whatever, and clearly she has hard eyes still, but, like, just don't say it. I'm glad that Will has made the shift from obnoxious awkward to adorable awkward now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, like, he and Natalie have embraced the fact that they're awkward. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. It's, It's great. It's so cute. And so... 
this pregnant patient named Julia, she gets brought in and Manstead treats her together. First off, hi, Chout. <laughs> Chout brings her in. I love that he recurs all the time. And so Julia's husband, Scott, arrives saying that, you know, she'd rather be at home with her midwife. But Will says that she needs the medication to control her arrhythmia and that they are not harmful for the baby. There's a great moment here. Will basically tries to do an ultrasound and she's like, get that thing off me. And the husband goes, well, acoustic radiation impairs neural development. And Will just turns around in one fell swoop and goes, "Mm, that's not actually true. Yeah. No, they, Sassy Will is my favorite. Right. But there's even, and I don't, I mean, I put it in the outline somewhere, so I don't remember even where it is, but like the patient also like she, I think they think they know more than they're talking about because like she probably reads WebMD or whatever shit. Um, but so like they try to tell Will and Natalie a couple of times that like, oh, this isn't actually, you know, what you're saying is wrong. And they're like, uh, no, we're actually doctors. Like, you need to chill. <laughs> I don't, I like, I'll find it in the outline wherever we get to it. But like, yeah. And so, yeah, Will does the ultrasound and he's like, yeah, this is a healthy fetus for five months. And she's like, no, do it again. And he's like, mm, but I'm sure the numbers. He's so sassy. <laughs> and, and the only reason I love it is because it's Will. It's, it's a cute, adorable, awkward Will. And just, yeah. And so it turns out that she's actually eight months pregnant, not five. And so Natalie and Will are looking over her chart for anything that could explain what's happening. And, you know, they explained to her the complications for her, her pregnancy. It's from her diet. She's not getting enough protein or iron. Um, I think they said at one point that she eats like 700 to 800 calories a day. Yeah, she's on portion control. So she needs a nutritionist because of whatever, like, stomach condition she had had earlier. And so, like, she's on, like, 800 calories a day. And she's like, oh, but, like, she tries to justify it. And she's like oh, but, like, you know, I only feed my baby, like, the healthy, you know, like, the most organic greens and blah, blah, blah. And, like, no. You're eating for two. 800 calories is not enough for one person, let alone two. She's right. dumb, but whatever. Crazy. And so, you know, she refuses IV food, even though she's told that her baby is severely malnourished. And when she remains super adamant, I mean, she's very vocal. And I don't know why, but I loved every minute of it. Um... Yeah, she's like, no, you can't do this. And Will's just like, all right, well, your arrhythmia hasn't settled yet. So we'll be back in a few minutes to check on you, which is really code for like, this bitch is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Natalie and Will are like, okay, let's, we've got to talk to Goodwin. And so they present the case to Goodwin. I think it's beca- it's called orthorexia. Yeah. And so Will is just basically explaining that she has a pathological distrust of the entire medical system and she won't let them do anything. And so Goodwin explains, you can't force a feeding tube on a sound-minded patient. And they plead the case about there being two patients here. And Will goes, this is child abuse. And when I saw that in the promo, I was like, who died and made you, Natalie? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know. Did you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? No. There's an episode where one of the couples, they're, they're like teasing one of the other couples. And they basically say that they've morphed into one person. And that's exactly what's happening to Natalie and Will. But I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah. No, it's true. It's like, you know, as soon as Will, I don't, not that, I guess they're girlfriend and boyfriend, whatever. I'm just going to say they are. We've not seen it. I'm assuming whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like as soon as Will and Natalie become boyfriend and girlfriend, it's like, oh, well, I take on all of your issues. Right. They're one person. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. I don't know why I'm loving this so much. Yeah. 
No. And so Goodwin goes to get an emergency meeting together to intervene, but in the meantime, just wants them to, or she wants them to try to get Julia to trust them. And so Manstead returns to Julia's room. They explain that her body is not responding to the medications. And if it continues down that road, that they will need to do an emergency C-section. And Manning says that they need to do what's best for her and the baby. Okay, this is where I was talking about. So, like, the best part of this whole scene is, like, Julia's like, you don't understand. And then she goes and proceeds to explain how nutrients that she intakes affects the baby. As if Natalie and Will don't already know because they're fucking doctors like she's like yeah you know and this happens when i intake the nutrients and blah 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 and i'm like you're talking to doctors like you're not talking to your husband i'm just like it was like annoying like i didn't like the patients but i liked the part that they were trying to explain they were trying to out doctor the doctors yeah yeah I mean, I know it's Manstead and, you know, maybe she watches Med and she understands that Manstead has their quirks, but they're still doctors. Yeah, it was great. And so Goodwin informs them that the committee ruled against them, saying they can't intervene for the sake of the baby. And Goodwin apologizes and says that her hands are tied. So Dr. Manning approaches Scott and she says that she needs him to speak to his wife. And so he explains a lot here. He's like, you know, she's always had anxiety and control issues, but now this is just turned up a notch and he's really scared that the wife and baby are going to die. And what I love here is that Manning's like, is there anything you can say to your wife? And the husband responds by asking her to do something. So you do something. No, you do something. Good chat, guys. (laughs) Yeah, very productive. And so later on, Julia wakes up and she finds that she's hooked up to an IV without consent. Natalie freaking hooked her up to an IV without her consent. Yeah. And then my favorite part is like Will shocked. He's like when Julia's like taking it off and like, I don't know if she like just pulls it out and like hands it to Will or whatever. But like Will's looking at it and he's like, he's like, you did this? Like what? Like he's like, he's like, I have it's like. It's like he doesn't even know Natalie at all in this situation. Like, well, this is something you would do. This is definitely something Natalie would do. Like, are you really that shocked? Yeah. Also, Will, did you forget about that time in season one where you went against that woman's DNR? Because I didn't. That uh, time you got sued, actually. Yeah. No, definitely. We'll never forget that. And so, like, I mean, you know you have fucked up if Will is shocked by what you did. Right. And like I said, it's not like Natalie hasn't gone, like, you know out of like center field to like help her patients either so i don't know why he was shocked but i was shocked i was more shocked that will was not a like her assistant in this and that will had no hand in it (laughs) right he was probably like the accomplice somehow but just is like really maintaining his cover well yeah for real who knows and so i mean the other thing too is like uh, this is the thing that just drives me crazy about this she administers the iv without the, the patient's consent um hi that's criminal battery yeah no it's criminal battery that's a misdemeanor yeah no i had put this later on just kind of in like general thoughts but like in rachel's dm you know she talks about how this episode was full of legal issues and that you know she's like i couldn't help but notice you know like think about them as like the episode progressed like you know with the connor stuff she's like you know it's kind of weird that they never really said like what they were going to do about the company because like that's a big deal natalie doing fucking the, I, I don't even know what I, I can't, I lost where I am in the outline, so I've lost my place. Oh, yeah, criminal battery, like, hello, um, how is no one, like, how is Goodwin not being, like, 
girl, like, you fucked up. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like, oh, it just drives me crazy. It's an unwanted touching. It's criminal battery. You just committed such a big crime, but you don't care. Right. And like I said, they do that all the time. Yeah. Like, Will, Will and Nat are like, they're like Chicago Meds, Bonnie and Clyde. Like, they're just like a crime duo now. Yeah, for real. And I mean, Rachel, I mean, there's another part I put it also later in that line you know she says you know honestly like in terms of this well I'm gonna bring it up now you know she says honestly though at this point I kind of blame the writing because you should be able to write drama without making your doctor's casual criminals she's like and I'm only concerned because this isn't the first or second time she like Natalie straight up gone rogue right and she's she's echoing off we had a little twitter exchange that night when the episode aired and i had mentioned that i was like all of a sudden casual cri- like casual criminals are like the hallmark of the one chicago franchise just you know you've got voight being voight you've got will and nat doing will and nat things and i pointed one out on a fire that i can't remember oh hope stealing the ten thousand dollars yeah it's also like I mean, if you think about everyone that, like, everything that's happened to everyone on fire, like, I could go down the list. Well, Cruz committed, like, murder, technically, um, you know, for letting Flacco die in the fire. Like, I mean, everyone on all these shows have done something. Like, they've all done some pretty shady shit. I just, like, I just want to do, like, a PSA where I'm like, guys, (laughs) hey, world, like, committing crimes insisting that you're doing something right it's not uh, no just because don't do you, it just because just because you a are either police officers slash detectives or b no police officers officers slash detectives does not mean you can get away with this yeah don't do that it's bad <laughs> <laughs> it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> i just yeah they need to kind of tone down the casual criminal thing because it's just not a good look for anybody in this franchise and just Here's the other thing, too. So later on, Sharon tells Natalie that she's really lucky that Scott convinced his wife to not pursue action against them or the hospital. She's beyond lucky. This is like if she, this is like a nine lives situation because anybody in their right mind would have known to sue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really surprised, especially just considering all the disagreement there had been. It's not even like, oh, she just didn't want the treatment and that like she was the patient was really calm about it but she disagreed and so then natalie went into this like there's been just like yelling and disagreeing back and forth and like they still let her go like i'm really shocked like i was really genuinely shocked you know this this and stop me if this is a little too dramatic here this almost circles back to the jason issue about how it's important to be held accountable for your actions i mean it's a little bit of a stretch to, like, tie it into that. But, yeah, no, definitely the point is still valid that, like, you should be held accountable for your actions. Yeah. Just, yeah, don't administer drugs to people who don't consent. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, Natalie returns to the room and apologizes. And, of course, the patient's like, um, fuck you, GTFO, please. And, you know, Natalie then starts talking about how fearing for the safety of your baby is the most natural thing in the world. This whole sequence here, these two scenes just take such a turn so fast. This is almost like the heart scene in the premiere, but like 
a little bit more. And so, yeah. So at first Goodwin's like, hey, I'm glad you're not getting sued. And then Natalie goes in and the patient's like GTFO. But then Natalie goes in on this whole story about fearing for your baby is so totally natural. But then she begins to talk about her own experience, which she starts by saying that she had a fantasy about killing herself. Yeah. And then somehow, what? though, and then somehow, though, the fantasy about killing herself really ends with her being irrational, like having an irrational fear of heights that she got after she had a baby. Like it literally goes from like, oh, I want to kill myself to like, oh, I have a fear of heights and it happened because of my husband dying and having the baby. Like it just goes from like super like far off the cliff to like, oh, okay, I'm fear. Like it, I don't know. It's, I, this whole scene is just like a one big face palm for me. Yeah. Like, what the hell is happening right now? And why is it only the Manstead scenes that make me ask that? Yeah. I mean, I, oh I want to facepalm in a lot of uh, April and Choi stuff, but for a very different reason. Oh, my God. We're going to be facepalmed out by the time we get to April and Choi. So <laughs> Julia's monitors start going off. Natalie says they need to do a C-section. Julia refuses, but the husband begs them to do it. And Natalie says that if she doesn't let them do this, the baby will die. And she agrees. And she agrees in about two seconds. It's literally like, we need to do a C-section. No, but your baby will die. Okay. That's the scene. Yeah. And I think Natalie made the point like earlier on, but like, you know, she says, you know, it's not that they both are like really disagree. Like, you know, they both really care. Like, I mean, the patient cares about her baby and, you know, wants the baby to be okay. They just have obviously different approaches of doing it. And so I think that's really what like kind of comes down to it. And like once Natalie kind of reasoned with her that like the baby's not going to be okay if we don't do this, then obviously the patient agreed. But Right, right. And so it all works out in the end, thankfully. And we get to see Natalie and Will on their first date. And it's just so cute. At the and Ferris so, wheel. Not the at restaurant. The Ferris wheel. But the Ferris oh wheel. Yeah, no, Will kind of ends up surprising her. Um, you know, kind of after Natalie had said this whole thing about having this fear of heights and whatever. And Natalie's like, no, 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 no. Like, she's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, no, no, no. Like, let's just go to our reservation. Like, and Will's like, you know, are, are you going to let fear win? And she just kind of doesn't really answer. And he's he says the cutest fucking thing. He's like, he's like, Natalie, like, you know, I'm going to be next to you this whole time. Trust me. When did uh, Will become so, so smooth cute. and adorable? And, uh, so, yeah, and then they go on the Ferris wheel and they kiss and the episode ends and just like. Oh I feel God. like this Ferris wheel scene just it makes up for the whole storyline of just. They're just so cute this season. It makes up for all the, like, cringeworthy things Manstead's done in the past, like, two seasons. Yeah, and, like, why are the cringeworthy things that they do now, why are they cute? All of a sudden, <laughs> I can handle all of this. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, Manstead, you're adorable. Yeah. No. Ugh. Ready. I'm so here for it. I'm so here for it. They're being so cute right now, and I'm here for every minute of it. Also, the um, I know you saw because you were paying attention to the Facebook Q and uh, thing that they did. Uh, the little snippet videos they would do throughout the day of just oh my god, if you haven't seen videos of Nick and Tori together, they are so funny. They're just like they're just fun and adorable, and like not that I ship it or anything, but like they just like they you can tell that they're really good friends, like off screen and you know that it it just it translates so well like they just have such a good like they just work so well together I mean it's great 
There's one video at one point, I think Tori just looks at him and starts giggling. Like, it's, they're so funny. Yeah. No, they're it's so great. Funny. And the the family guy one they did was great when uh, Nick's like, Tori, 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 Tori. <laughs> and she's like, what? And he laughs and he's like, hi. <laughs> so great. So great. So now we have to transition into a couple that we don't find as great. All right. We got to talk about Chexton. So, you mean sex toy. We'll get there. We will get there. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first thing we see here is April and Ethan doing the cliche fool around in the supply closet so we don't get caught thing. Okay. Are you fucking kidding me right now? April was so adamant in the premiere about keeping it a secret. And now she's going to fool around with him in the supply closet like it's no big thing. And I don't care that they're not technically in public. Okay. Ner- nosy Nurse Doris and her little army of nosy people are everywhere. Like All it takes is one person coming in needing one supply and that's it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too cliche. It's just like, yeah. It was already like. Oh God. Already going downhill from here for me on this episode. The cliche part of it doesn't bother me. It's that last week April was bitching to high heaven about people knowing about their relationship. And this week she's willing to risk it all in the supply closet. Right. And I think, oh, and I think that's part of it. I think it's just, you can't, like, they, not that Ethan can't make up his mind. Because Choice clearly seems that, like, he wants to be, like, out there as a couple with April. But, like, April can't make up her mind. And I think, so the fact that she chooses to go with this whole cliche thing is just like it's just frustrating so frustrating so frustrating and so choice pager goes off and that interrupts them so back on the floor they're trying to act like nothing happened between them and they're terrible liars um and then they go work on a patient together so this is a patient who comes in every month for his heart valve medicine and he seems to be close to april he just kind of flirts with her and so Choi ends up hearing something, I think, and he wants to send him for an x-ray, but Henry would rather just kind of get his medications and go. And so outside the room, Choi tells April that he feels like Henry will listen to her and he just asks her to convince him and she agrees to try. So they return to Henry's room and his x-rays show that he has bilateral pleural effusions. It's a really fancy way of saying that he has fluid around his lungs. Yeah. And so Henry just wants to leave, but Choi says that if they do the needle into his lung to drain the fluid, that he'll be able to wait longer between treatments. And he looks at April at this point and says, don't you agree? And, you know, April doesn't because the fusions are small, but she ends up going with it. You know, Henry asks and she agrees. So, you know, Henry goes ahead and he goes ahead and gives Choi the go ahead. And so outside of his room, April asks Ethan if he really wants to be this aggressive since Henry doesn't really do well with procedures. She disagrees with him that it's the best course of action. And, you know, Ethan's professional about it. He's like, I'm sorry you disagree, but I think this is the best choice. And April just goes zero to 100 fast. She was being such a bitch in this episode. Oh, my God. And so... She tells him, she's like, you should be sorry for thinking that I would agree with you just because we're sleeping together. At which point, Choi was like, that has nothing to do with it. And he says, you know, I thought you would agree because it's my medical assessment. And she suggests that the next time he wants to put her on the spot with a patient, he should think twice. Whoa. Yeah, whoa, what? I get where she's coming from. About, you know, you've got to be assertive in the workplace. I get it. Trust me, I get it. 
But this really seemed like an innocent mistake on Ethan's part to me. Like he just shouldn't have, he shouldn't have asked her in the room if she agreed. It just seems like an innocent mistake. But I mean, I get it, but she's just being really defensive here. Right. And I think it has nothing to do, this whole, the whole situation has nothing to do with their relationship and the fact that he's an MD and she's a nurse or whatever. It has to do with the fact that like they maybe should have had just better communication about the patient. Like, it really has nothing to do with, you know, like, Choi was never trying to, you know, make April seem like she was lesser because she's a nurse. Like, it was just, like, he was the doctor in the situation, so he, you know, wanted to run this test and do this. Like, it literally was just bad communication. It has nothing to do with him thinking less of her. But she took it as less of her, and that maybe they're sleeping together has something to do with it. And she just, like, got way too defensive way too fast. No, she did, and just, you know, the title thing, the, the fact that Ethan has the MD, this is only an issue to her. Right. Yeah, and I, like, I mean, and we talked about this last week, like, I get maybe why you think you don't want to come right out with it away because he is an MD and you're still a nurse, but at the same time, like, no one cares. Like, literally no one cares except for you. Right, right, and so, I mean, I was trying to reason through this because... I know I am not aboard this ship. I know you are not. Ashley's not. We've talked about this at length. And I mean, I've tried to reason through this and see the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just wondering, I mean, when she was engaged to Tate, Tate had no respect for her career. He just wanted her to quit and become a stay-at-home mom. And so maybe that's why she's so defensive and about, you know, her rank, their rank, the issues. I don't know. But it lives back to what I was saying, you know, decide what you want, girl. You can have your cake and eat it, too, by simply not giving a fuck about what other people think. It's that simple. When I think, too, like, and this is something I just thought about, like, just now, like, I wonder when you try to reason through it and think about her career, like, she was always someone, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that wanted to be a doctor, but she ended up kind of going to nursing because she could get through the schooling faster and then, as a result, use the money that she was able to make from working to help send Noah to medical school and become a doctor so maybe she like that's part of it too is that like she you know she wanted to be the md but now she can't because she's a nurse and now like it just wouldn't make sense for her to go to medical school i don't know i'm just thinking things through just now but it's another possible rationale and there's a way to fix that i mean she can she can go back to med school or she can go to med school i mean you know I just there's uh, yeah I can't figure out for the life of me why April is being this way and I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt but it's not going well it's just she's not being fair to Ethan in this situ- like, in any situation here she's not being fair to him because you know she wants to keep it under wraps she thinks that he doesn't respect her because she's a nurse you know it, this isn't fair to him because you know she's too worried about what other people think yeah no, it like you said, she's not being fair at all, and it's annoying. It's annoying yeah, to watch, yeah. too. Like, it's just, it comes off as just so bitchy, and it's like, it, it'd, be, it'd be one thing if it was just this one scene, but then there's another scene we're going to talk about, and then there's another scene. It's just like, there's so much bitchiness happening. I can't. So say April was the doctor and Choi was the nurse, would she still be this insecure? No. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, maybe slightly. Maybe just because, like, in that case, like, as a woman, she doesn't want to be seen, you know, having the thing of, like, oh, just, like, for trope, for lack of a better word, of, you know, hooking up with, like, coworkers. 
so like maybe that way and like maybe you know I think people kind of just see it as like women who hook up with their coworkers, like uh, it's kind of looked down upon so maybe mm-hmm. in that way but I, she definitely wouldn't be as insecure as she is right now for sure yeah I don't think so either and I mean Ethan is Ethan he's pretty secure so I don't think it would be an issue but Later on, Henry's pulse drops and April calls in Dr. Choi, who can't hear any breath sounds. And so Choi feels like they might have nicked his lung and they need to inflate it again. April apologizes and Henry just kind of asks why she let him do that to him. And so Dr. Choi apologizes and he says at this point that they'll have to admit him and it's probably for several days. I mean, Choi feels bad in this instance. No, for sure. And that's why I'm saying like it's not like. This whole like this whole situation is just over bad communication. It's not like Choi went in there trying to like prove something against April and is taking it out on Henry and blah blah. Like it's just it's just all a big misunderstanding, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, April watches over him for a moment and then she angrily steps off to Ethan. And she just says, you know, she says that she keeps saying this is why she didn't want to do it and that she's been been treating Henry for years. And I think at one point she gives him, you know, she just says something about, you know, we shouldn't have done this. And Ethan's like, I'm not looking for a second opinion. And so April goes, well, just because I don't have MD behind my name doesn't mean I don't know what's best for my patient. This is he where I lost it. That. This is where I lost it. I was just like, yeah, no, 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 no. You did not just say that. He never said that. And he did ask for your opinion earlier when he said, don't you agree? He just went about it in the wrong way. He made it. I will say this. Then that one, since he did kind of say like, oh, I want you to kind of talk to Henry. But like, you know, he didn't say you have to tell him to do this. Like he could have, you know, she for all, I mean, for all it's April, for all we know, like she could have said, no, I don't think you should do this. Choi just told him her to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. And I mean, you know, we did receive a lot of tweets this week asking about why we don't like Chexton because there's a lot of support for them out there. And, you know, this is where this is where the conversation is. And so, you know, a lot of people have asked us, why are we not aboard? And so for me, I know if this is their entire relationship and it's just them having issues with each other's rank, then this relationship is more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely part of it. Um, I mean, I don't really see the chemistry between them, but that's just me. I also, I mean, we've talked about this endless time, so I won't say a whole lot about it, but just like there was no, like it was just all of a sudden, they're a couple and they're a thing. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is cool. No, it's not. I don't, I like a little bit more of a slow burn, but whatever. Um, so there's a couple reasons for sure. But like, yeah, like you said, if this, if their entire relationship is going to be them having issues with each other in the workplace, mm, not good. I'm not here for it. No, it seems like Ethan is all in. And it just seems like April is just so, like, she doesn't know what she wants. She's indecisive. Right. And that's okay, but don't drag Choi along for the ride. Right. And especially, too, like, you guys do work together. Like, it's not like you're indecisive about where you want your relationship to be. Like, whether, are you just friends with benefits? Are you actually in a committed relationship? Like, it's totally fine to be indecisive about what you want from a relationship, from a relationship, but you also work together for, like, I don't know how long the shifts are, but, like, a, 
eight hours to probably 12. I mean, probably 12 or something around there is my guess. But like, that's a long time to be working with someone. And then obviously someone you're kind of seeing, you're kind of not whatever, like shit's about to blow the fan. Yeah, it is. And so Maggie sees them bickering and she orders both of them into another room and demands them to stop it. And so she asks Dr. Choi if he wants another nurse on his case. He can't even answer before April is asking why she doesn't ask if she wants another doctor. April, like, girl. Yeah. (laughs) And so Maggie warns them that if it doesn't stop, she'll separate them for good. And frankly, I think that might be a good thing at at this point. Yeah, for real, Maggie, you should just go ahead and do it anyway. Well, because I don't think it's helping them to be together 24-7. Right. Well, yeah, because it's like, I mean, we're basically almost there at this point. But at the very end of the episode, you know, like, they basically did make plans to go back to whoever's apartment and, like, hang out and have dinner and probably have sex and whatever. But, like, you know, it's just like, okay, well, then, like you said, it's literally 24-7. They get no separation. Right. And so... Later on, Dr. Choi approaches April with the analysis of Henry's lung tap, and it turns out that he has lung cancer. And so she looks at him and admits that he was right to do the tap, to which he responds with, that's not important. As in, April is the one who let the emotions get the best of her here. Them sleeping together had nothing to do with his decision making. Yep. Nothing to do with it. And so far in this relationship, Choi has been a perfect gentleman. Aside from going in for the kiss and the, was it 221, the one before the finale in season two? 222. That was awkward. But yeah. Yeah. Aside from going in for the kiss. But other than that, he has been a perfect gentleman this entire time. Yeah. No, and I've always, I said this last week, you know, I love Choi and I, I just, I can't stand April. I just... She needs to figure out what she wants. And I think for me, too, like, April's been, like, it's been, like, a very, it's been, like, a downward spiral because I really liked April in one, in season one, and in two. Like, I liked her with Tate. I mean, Tate ended up being kind of, like, an asshole, but that's a different thing. Like, I liked them kind of when they were getting, and I liked April when she was introduced in Fire. Um, So I liked April, but now it's just, like, I can't stand her. I, I can't stand her. Right. Yeah. And so and obviously, I mean, this is why we're not aboard the Chuxton ship. But I mean, tell us why. Tell us why you are. We want to like just tell us why. What are we missing? What should we be paying attention to? Yeah, for Uh, sure. We're actually asking, though, because we're we're missing something here. So tell us what we're missing. And so later on, April apologizes to Ethan and vice versa. And they both both admit that their relationship isn't going to be easy. (sighs) Okay, so couple of last minute notes about these two. So right before their characters got together, I think Brian and Yaya had coined their own ship name for this couple. Um, why the hell aren't we calling them sex toy like they were? For real. I don't even remember who tweeted about it like a couple days ago. And I had not seen like when Brian and Yaya had like first officially pointed out. I'm trying to go through a text and see if I can find where I would put in... Um, who had, like, tweeted. It might have even been Tori. I think it was Tori that had tweeted something about, like, calling them sex toy. And I was, like, and I put into, like, our group text, I was, like, holy shit, this is the best thing ever. Like, never calling them Chexton ever again. So I refuse to call them anything but sex toy. Yeah. It is. It's, the be- it's like. It is yeah. sex toy from here on out. 
<laughs> like, why weren't we using this to begin with? It's just so great. Right. Like, maybe they would be the official couple on Med if we just could call them sex toy. <laughs> we are children and I love it. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, um, but yeah, you can call them Chexton, but going forward, we are going to call them sex toy because it is funny. <laughs> And so we also got a DM from Rachel about the whole Chexton issue. Sex toy. Sorry, I got to get used to this. Um, and so Rachel was talking about April and she said, I was rooting for her, but she was being a brat. First of all, if you really don't want people to talk, then maybe don't sneak around in the hospital. Thank you. Yep. Oh, Not that so hard. Frustrating. I mean, and it's not to say that I don't want to see these two figure it out. I would love to see them figure it out. But... Right now, it's just not looking too promising. No. So lastly, we are going to touch on Reese, Noah, and Dr. Charles, because this is still going on from the premiere. So Dr. Charles and Goodwin have a conversation about metal detectors outside of each entrance. Goodwin's leaning towards yes, but Dr. Charles says, really? Like, doesn't that kind of fly in the face of being a trusted community institution? So... They have their conversation, and as they're going their separate ways, Dr. Charles passes Reese and doesn't really say anything, so it looks like they're still kind of on the outs. Yep. And I'm okay with that, actually, because I don't like the way Charles spoke to Sarah in the last episode. Even if he was upset, I'm glad Sarah's sticking to her guns. Yeah. And so Noah is walking with Reese and telling her about this patient that he has who got her hands on insulin and injected herself. So he kind of hopes that Reese can find out the reason why. And so he also wants to know if Reese will go out for drinks with him. So he he's been asking to go to drinks with her for like episodes and episodes now. Yeah. And so, yeah, she she eventually reluctantly agrees. But, you know, it's with a lot of hesitation. So we got an email from Katrina and Katrina says, you would think that the writers and producers, especially after all that's happened, would realize how bad that looks and take that scene out. She's talking about when Noah led with, you know, I know I've been hounding you for drinks. Yeah. But... And so, you know, I get this, um, but I'm not one to omit things when it doesn't work. I'm more about fixing it. And so, you know, when he leads with, I know I've been hounding you about getting a drink one night after work and then continuing to do it, it's not really a good look. So, I mean, they're trying to show that Noah likes her and that she's reluctant to jump into another relationship. But I think instead of taking it out, there could have been a better way to go about it. And I I agree now that, like, you say it and, like, yeah, it's not the best look. But at the same time, I think it's also just slightly different, too, because it's not like this is just some strange, creepy guy that she doesn't really know, like, trying to consistently ask her out and ask her out and ask her out, like, she and Noah are friends, so it's not also weird that, like, why like why aren't they hanging out and going to get drinks? Like, even if she said, like, I mean, she kind of reluctantly agrees, like, ask colleagues to go do it. But, like, they're also friends. So, like, why, like, wouldn't you just want to go, like, yes, even if it was just as friends, like, you can go have a drink with Noah. Like, it's not weird. So, like, I didn't think I saw it as much of an issue just because, like, they are friends. Yeah, I think it's more that, you know, Reese has made her decision quite clear and Noah's just not taking no for an answer. But I, yeah, and I don't want to defend Noah because obviously this is a very serious issue that we're dealing with right now. But I think the fact that they are friends 
almost lends itself to him backing off even more. Like, you guys are friends. You're still going to see her back off and she'll come to you when she's ready. Yeah, I also just, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he thought that, like, I mean, and granted, we don't know. We barely saw Noah in last episode. So, like, we don't really know what's been happening with him since his graduation party. But, like, you know, at the graduation party, you know, she did agree to dance with him, which I guess could have been taken as, like, maybe she's kind of a little bit more into me. So maybe he took that as, like, I'm not saying I'm defending him either, but, like, maybe he took that as his hint that, like, oh, maybe she does have some sort of, not feelings, but, like, maybe she is into me slightly. Like, I don't know. There's a whole different, I, like, and so, like, I agree, like you said, like, once it kind of was, like, pointed out that, like, it's not a good look, it is not necessarily a good look, but, like, I think there's also ways that, like, it could have been interpreted as, like, understanding where he comes from as well. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, this was definitely a gray situation. Yes. It's not a black much. and white. Like, it is not like, oh, Noah is wrong. It is not like, oh, Sarah is right or vice versa. It is definitely like, there's some layers here and it's a very gray situation. Yeah. And so Reese goes to visit the patient that took the incident or incident, insulin. insulin. Guys, it's late. We're tired. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so she she goes to visit the patient and the patient admits that she took the insulin because she didn't want to face her divorce court trial that day. Is nobody else curious how she got the insulin? Yeah, I, I am. But apparently Noah and Reese don't care. Yeah. And so the patient becomes pretty furious when Reese won't write her a doctor's note saying that she had a medical emergency. And I love her rationale here. So the patient's like, will you write me a note saying that I had a medical emergency? And Reese is like, well, you didn't because you caused it. I'm like, why? Why do I love this explanation so it much? Is, it's it's great. It's pretty great. Reese said some really great. But it's also the truth. Right. But like Reese said some really great one liners this season so far. So great. I love it so much. And so Dr. Charles speaks with the patient and he throws her when he says that, you know, they need to evaluate her rather than just get her to or tell her to get real. And so Dr. Charles says, you know, until we figure out what's behind the behavior, we haven't done our job, have we? Which is very true. Yeah, it's very true. Very, very true. And so Reese talks to the patient again, but this patient, this time the patient seems to hear everything Reese is saying. And so, you know, she says she can't believe that she didn't see the destructive pattern she used to get herself out of awful situations. Dr. Charles is over at the nurse's station at this point. And when Reese comes out, she apologizes and thanks him for making her stick with the patient. So later on. Well, also, it's worth noting the patient hugs Sarah at one point. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so the patient hugs her. So later, Maggie calls Reese over, saying that she's got another patient in a different room waiting for a prescription. So she can't find a prescription pad, and then she sees the patient leaving the ED. So at this point, she pretty much demands to see her purse, but when she refuses, Reese snatches it and finds her pad. The patient attacks her and then claims that Reese actually attacked her instead. It's ugly. It's 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 a pretty ugly scene. Yeah, just like so, all the yelling. It's it's pretty ugly. Yeah, and so I felt bad for Sarah because just, ugh. And so up on the roof, Sarah is there and, you know, she's crying and it's not like she's crying because she's frustrated, of course. And Dr. Charles comes out to see her. And so he basically confronts her about always wanting to punish people. And Reese claps back. 
Like they're these two are on rough ground so far this season, but I'm actually enjoying it, and I feel kind of bad saying that. No, I definitely, I yeah, I think the tension is good, and I think it's good too to see that like as this like mentor student relationship that you don't always just kind of go like yes, you learned a lot of great stuff from your mentor, but like you also the side of a good student is that you've been able to take those things and learn and become your own person and you know, your own doctor in this case. And so I think it's just, it's healthy. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, it sucks. And like, obviously no one likes to see people fight, but like it's healthy tension. Right. And so Reese claps back and she says, you know, people like him always let people get away with their actions, makes excuses for them, just like the guy who shot him. And when she says this, Dr. Charles is kind of taken aback. It's pretty great. And so like, yeah, he's just like, well, people like me. And she just storms off. And Assertive Sarah is so fantastic. This might be my favorite part of season three so far. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's really interesting because you know how I just said I I really liked April in the beginning. And now she's kind of been on a downward spiral. I was not a big fan of Reese in the beginning. And she's just like, it's just like an upward trend with her. Like, I really have grown to really like Reese. Yeah, a lot. And I mean... She has dealt with so much bullshit in the past two episodes, 75% of it being people doubting her, which I'm sick of, frankly. For real. But she's like the Wonder Woman gif where she's like simultaneously running and just blocking shit with her shield. Like that's been Reese this season. She's like, no bullshit. No. Yeah. (laughs) It's been great. And so later on, Reese comes to see Dr. Charles because he had paged her about a consult. And he makes a joke about him being the patient, but he actually does want a clinical evaluation of his recovery. So she gives it and basically, yeah, she gives the the evaluation and at one point she says, well, it seems like you've let it go. And Dr. Charles is like, yeah, I have. And you should too. I'm like, okay, hang on. Be a little more gentle here, you know. Yeah. Like, like, you know, don't say that you've got to get to the bottom of why these people are feeling the way they feel and then turn around with Sarah and be like, you need to let it go. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing is just like, people pointing fingers and being like, well, if I can do it, you can do it. But then you really, it's, it's a whole big jumbled mess is really what it is. It is. It is. And so Dr. Charles reminds her that, you know, very few of their patients are harmless and most are very grateful for their help, but they can't get that help if she's coming to work scared. And so Sarah denies it, but Dr. Charles says that every psychiatrist goes through this at some point or another, and then it passes and it will for her too. Okay, but, like, also maybe help her get to the bottom of why she feels that way? Maybe. That'd be nice. Maybe. I mean, I know, we haven't really heard how this shooting affected her. We, like, I mean, I'm sure she was upset to hear slash see her mentor like that. Hence why I wanted more of the aftermath of the shooting in last week's premiere. Because I think it would have... It would have served all these storylines that are coming, you know, whether it was the Dr. Charles and Reese stuff. And then, like, obviously last week we were talking about it with Natalie's sabbatical. Like, I just think it would have served all these other storylines just so much better. Yeah. And it would probably explain why Sarah feels so strongly as she does. And I'm hoping maybe they'll set it up because, I mean, we're going to talk about the kind of how this storyline ends. And, like, so clearly this is something that's going to continue just, like, a little bit more and a little bit more for the next couple episodes. So, like, maybe we'll finally find out exactly what she, you know, what she saw, like, that night or if she went back to the hospital and whatever. Um, But, yeah, I think it would just serve – it would have served them a little bit better for them to show some of the aftermath of the actual shooting. 
Right. And so walking out of the hospital, Goodwin tells Dr. Charles that she changed her mind about the metal detector after seeing a woman almost kill her baby because she didn't trust them. And she thought about how they can encourage people to trust them more if they don't show them trust first. So Dr. Charles is walking out of the hospital and Reese is in the parking lot and she's on her phone frantic and Noah's standing next to her. So Dr. Charles approaches and Noah points out that someone slashed her tires. So Reese looks at him and asks if he still thinks patients are harmless and says that her original patient did this. It's Yeah. So this is something I'm assuming we're going to see then continue, like, the aftermath of this patient. Like, I mean, I'm assuming we're going to see that next week, I would assume, but I don't know. Maybe. I mean, are we sure that it was the patient who did this? I don't think we're sure. I mean, that's Reese's guess, but I'm sure then maybe this is the best time for them to bring in PD and be like, oh, PD is going to look into this and Reese is going to have to talk to PD and whatever. And so, like, it might just be like a simple way to set up a crossover i don't know i don't know i don't know maybe but and i only bring that up because i rewatched the episode right before we recorded and my mom was watching with me and she was like well how does she know that that's her car and i was like oh i'm rubbing off on you (laughs) 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 um so i was like oh maybe she didn't slash the tires but she probably did um and so We, uh, you know, we got a DM from Rachel talking about this, and she says that Reese thinks that there are people who just abuse the system and take advantage of it, and she thinks that sometimes people like Dr. Charles enable them, and herself, I guess, since she's in the same profession. Dr. Charles is saying that, yes, that can happen, but there are people who genuinely need help, and even those who abuse the system need help to see that, too. It's a good point. It's a good point. I mean... There's a there's got to be a balance between, you know, keeping your guard up and still helping people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like, but there's got to be a way to figure that out somehow. Because she's right to be concerned, not necessarily afraid, but she's right to have her guard up. For sure. And especially the like their specialty. Um, Yeah, she definitely has the right to be concerned. But I think at the same time, like I do kind of see where Dr. Charles is from and saying like, you can't let that fear kind of dictate how you deal with the patients and, you know, how you treat them and everything else. Like, you can't live it with that fear either. It's true. Yeah, there's this is, a balance. Yeah, it's that, a definitely a healthy balance, trying to find that balance. Right. So, yeah, and that's, you know, that's the, that is the end of that episode. Um, you know, just some general thoughts. Everyone was so stressed out in this episode. Mm-hmm. It was stressing me out. Like, why were they so stressed out? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would notice that it was rubbing off on me, too. Like, I was like my, I feel like my tweets were getting angrier as the episode went on. And I think it's funny because, like, so I think when you were just, like, before we started recording, you were talking about, you're like, Brian, like, you really were putting, like, a lot of caps in here, like, all caps in here and just, like, um, you know, just, like, really, like, putting your heart and soul into this outline. And I was like, yeah, and I think. It's because this episode made me stressed. Like, I was just, like, ranty and, like, I was just, like, ready to go. And you were like, have you had wine? I was like, no, I made this at, like, 11 a.m. <laughs> like, no, I did not have wine. <laughs> but, like, I think it's just because this episode just stressed me out. Yeah. So I just got, like, the more I kept watching, I was like, all caps. Like, let's go. Let's go. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, it was just really stressful. Everybody was just so on edge and it just kind of rubbed off on us. And it reminds me of that PD crossover with Yates. Oh, like the last hour oh I was God. just like, 
Yeah, at the last me. hour, I was like gripping the table and I was like, somebody make it stop. Don't like, remind <laughs> me. Yeah. Oh my God. I think the other thing, I mean, the DM from Rachel, we already brought up, so I won't bring that up again. But the thing that I wanted to point out, just kind of general thoughts about this episode, is why do all the couples continue to work with one another? Like, this is two weeks in a row that the couples work together. I noticed that, and I thought that was kind of weird, too. Not that I don't like seeing, like, Manstead work together or whatever, but I'm over sex toy working together. So, like, why can't – like, I just need different pairings. Like, give me, like – I like when Reese and Will work together. Like, give me Natalie and Rose. Like, I don't like people just kind of being in their own worlds. Like, I'm over it. Right. Right. No, that's a good point. Like – differ it up a little bit you never see that on pd or you know on fire you know you everybody's together well, in pd it's different just because at pd like pd they have partners right but i mean even even 508 which we'll talk about on sunday we got upton and antonio which was right a new interesting pairing yeah that's true yeah yeah, yeah. but like pd even if they do like when they do like just kind of can keep it consistent it's just because they're a partner so like it makes more sense but yeah like the doctor's like it's not good for the couples themselves because they're stressing them out. They're stressing each other out, which then in turn stresses me out. And then I don't enjoy this episode as much. I mean, I thought this was a really good episode, but like it was stress. It was stressful. It was stressful. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, any other thoughts about the episode? No, like I said, it was good. Um, I know our friend Jeff wrote it, um, but it was <laughs> really great. Yeah, it was. It was a really good episode. It was a really good episode. Yeah. Jeff, it's not you. It's Chexton that we don't like. <laughs> Sex toy. Sex toy. I'm sorry. It's going to, you know, what's the saying? It takes like a month to make a habit. Okay. So it's going <laughs> to take me a little bit. Yeah. No. But, it, but it, yeah. Was, it was a really good episode. And like, I really, I did like the um, pregnancy case. I thought that was, like that. said, I never heard of orthorexia, but. uh, that was a cool I like that case yeah Yeah, that was good so well yeah that is our episode for uh, for tonight and as you can tell that this kind of stressed us out just by the length of it um (laughs) if you've made it this far in the episode congratulations well done um yeah that's about all we got yeah so uh Monday's episode will be Chicago PD 508 and yeah I posted the calendar on our Twitter page take a look at it it hasn't changed yet um we'll let you know if it does but yeah um keep tweeting ashley halstead gifts and tell her to get better and stop throwing up and all that (laughs) stuff it's late y'all we're tired (laughs) but yeah that's our show for tonight as always follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram we are meet us at molly's or you can email us meet us at molly's at gmail.com basically you can get in touch with us however you want you can send a carrier pigeon if you want um, but we love it when you guys get in touch with us. So please, please don't be shy. Um, in addition to that, you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. I am Bryna. at Bryna K13. We've also got a Tumblr page. It's meet us at mollies.tumblr.com. Yes, it is. And yeah, that is about it. So yeah, everybody have a good weekend and we will see you on Monday. Bye.